Please listen to these words. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready for a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain. These things have passed away. And I saw no temple in that city. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And this city has no need of the sun of the moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God will illumine it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And there shall be no longer any curse or sin there in this city, and the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservants shall serve him there. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be written on their forehead. And there shall be no longer any night or darkness, and there shall be no need of light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign with him forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning with humble and contrite hearts. Seek only to know your word, your way, your son, and the vested power of the Holy Spirit within us, Lord. To walk in a matter and in a manner that pleases you all the days of our lives. And that we dwell upon the living hope of Jesus Christ that resides within our mind, strength, body, soul, and will. Lord, teach us this morning. Convey to us your holy word. Abide in us, Lord, the glorious truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Our text this morning is going to be out of Matthew chapter 24, if you'll turn there. Matthew chapter 24, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 14. Matthew 24, verses 1 through 14. And this is what is known as the starting of two chapters called the Olivet Discourse. We're not going to go through two chapters as obviously time does not allow us, but we're going to look at the essence of of what Christ is teaching here and conveying here to his followers and to those very close and near and dear to him. There's five discourses in the book of Matthew, starting with Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And then you go through three more after that to make four, and you come to the fifth and last discourse a course in teaching. 
Christ being the greatest teacher there is and the teacher of the Holy Scriptures and the truth that prevail therein is going to set forth for us and for those people at that time, that generation, a myriad of cataclysmic events that are to take place over a period of history. Its beginning can be defined. Its end is still yet to come. So if you will join me as I read verses 1 through 14 in the Olivet Discourse of St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. And Jesus came out of the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he answered and said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you that not one stone here shall be left upon another which shall not be torn down. And then he was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will mislead many. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not frightened. For those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines, pestilence, and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. And at that time, many will fall away. And others will deliver up each other and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increasing, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations. And then the end shall come. Obviously, we can see in the first two or three verses of this that there is some dialogue that we don't have that has been transpiring. First, from the Pharisees and the Sadducees with Christ, and then with his disciples after he leaves the temple. The humanity of Christ really comes to full front here. John's gospel says he came to his own, the Jewish people. Christ born of the Jew, the genealogy of that people. And they received him not. They rejected him. So as we go through the Gospels, and particularly Matthew, the few chapters before this 24th chapter, we get the feel of what's happening here. We get the understanding and the comprehension in this last discourse in Matthew's Gospel of the immense enormity 
of what is happening to Christ, about Christ, and what is going to happen to these people, and all of the contradictions that come from his people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and his railing pronouncements against them. So when we look at this particular part of the discourse, we're looking at the fall of Jerusalem, judgment. We're looking at the pronouncement of the end of the age, death, burial, resurrection, appearance, ascension into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the Father. And we are looking at his coming. Those are just some of the themes and some of the concepts conveyed here in these next two chapters with parallel teachings in Mark chapter 13 and Luke chapter 21, of which I will use to some degree. But what's happening here is that Christ is in the temple. And you need not turn back. I will take you through this quite rapidly. Matthew 21, and Jesus entered the temple, and he cast out all those who were selling and trading, making his father's, a place of, his father's home a place of commerce. The temple was the all-in-all all in Jerusalem. The plans were given to David. Solomon built the temple. It had existed for years and years and years and years. It was the epicenter of religiosity in that part of the world, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the centerpiece of the leadership and the direction of it. And yet the atrocities that were going on there and the teachings and the false teachings and the adversities were such that at this point, from Matthew 21 up to the Olivet Discourse of 24, where Christ is speaking to his men privately on the Mount of Olives, Christ is sending forth a pronouncement to these people, the Jews, his people who received him not, his people who rejected his kingdom, his people who are looking for another Messiah. And so as we start there, we'll just look at a few of these things here. And he says, when he had come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him, As he was teaching, and they said, by what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? That tells you right away their acknowledgement of him as being something less than the Messiah. And then we see he's telling them that John came to you in the way of righteousness, that's John the Baptist, and you did not believe him. But the tax gatherers and harlots, they did believe him. And you seeing this did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe John the Baptist. So if you believe, did not believe John the Baptist, how will you believe me? For he was the one that became the messenger for me. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, that was one of the discourses, that had gone over a number of chapters, they understood that Christ, this Jesus, was speaking about them. And here are some of the things that he was saying 
to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And when he went out to call the slaves in who had been invited, none were willing to come. And then the Pharisees went and counseled together that they might trap him in what he was saying and what authority that he was teaching. And then came some Sadducees to him. And these were saying that there was no resurrection. And so there was great confrontation going on here between these two religious groups. And Christ answered them both and said, You are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures and the power of God. For I am the God of the living, not of the God of the dead. And then the Pharisees heard he had put the Sadducees to silence. They gathered together. And so they went and contended with him as why, that their king was King David. And so he asked him if David then calls Christ Lord, how is he his son? And none were able to answer this question. And then he said, therefore, to you scribes and Pharisees, speaking to the multitude, all that they tell you to do and to observe, you do, but do not do according to their deeds. Do you see where that secular phrase come? Do as I say, but not as I do. A pronouncement to them that everything that their deeds were was not in accord of what they were supposed to do, but it's what they held others in bondage to do with all their multiplicity of laws and edicts. And then he goes on to say, you scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from men. You do not enter yourself. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because you travel about on sea and land to make one like yourself, and when you do, you make him twice a son of hell. And woe to you, you blind guides. You swear by the temple, but you give nothing therein. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanliness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and you adorn the monuments of the righteous. And you say, if we had been living in our father's day, we would not have killed the prophets and Christ says, you bear witness against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how shall you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets 
and wise men and scribes. And some of them you will kill and crucify. And some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. That upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth from the time of Abel to the time of Zechariah. That is nearly the full Old Testament that Christ is holding them in judgment to. Truly I say to you, all these things shall come upon this generation. As he was speaking to that generation. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. Your house, Jerusalem, the temple, is being left desolate. Days and hours Christ has been in and out of the synagogue conveying to these men. Preaching to these men, sharing with these men, holding these men accountable to the truth of the word of God. And Jesus came out from the temple and was going away. This is Christ's last open public discourse and teaching. And the imagery there, you must see the glory of the multiple buildings that made up the whole temple yard and area, from the portico to the holies of holies. You see a scene there, if it was in cinema or TV, of one walking away, leaving that which God had consecrated and had stood for centuries to be the understanding of God with his people. That's what the temple was. That's what it stood for. And so his disciples came up to him and pointed out the buildings to him. There's different dialogue in Mark chapter 13 and Luke chapter 21, but it brings us to the same point. As he was leaving the last thing that they're seeing here in this scene is all the the opulence of the temple. And the temple was all that it was set to be by God. All of the beauty of the creation that God had given in timber, in minerals, in beautiful stones, in gold, engraving, and the gifts he gave to men to carve and to make the ark, the tabernacle, the mercy seat, the chair of Moses, the curtains, the veil, the lavers, the pans, the dishes, and all of the design and purpose that he intended for this through the Levitical priests, the Marathites, the Korathites to serve within this. It was everything. And yet we find out now Christ is leaving this temple for the last time and he answers and he says to them do you not see all these things not just seeing them visually do you not understand all these things that I say to you that one, not one stone here shall be left upon another 
which shall not be torn down. For that period of time, that generation, that culture, that would be the mightiest statement that you could ever hear. Tantamount to you being in New York City 10 years before the towers fell and someone came up to you and said, you see these two towers? They will be gone. And your thoughts would be either he's a liar, a lunatic, or he knows what he's saying. This is the setting here. And needless to say, his disciples are concerned because when we go and we see the other text in here, we find out that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is a topic that the Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees had conveyed to Christ over and over and over in each gospel. They didn't ask him when he was coming. They asked him, well, we know you're from God because you have some form of authority. You perform signs and wonders, but you're not the kind of God that we want. You're not the kind of Savior that we want. So tell us, when is Messiah coming? Perhaps this will best help us look at that particular part of the text to see here. But be on your guard. They will deliver you up. They will arrest you. And you will be hated on my account. But when you see the abomination of desolation, then you will understand. And as we look at Luke's part of it, he tells us, Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, there it is, before, behold, the kingdom of God is here. I am in your midst. And he said to the disciples, the day shall come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look, there he is. Look, no, he's here. Do not go away and do not run after them, for there will be many deceivers. For just as the lightning, when it flashes out of, the, out of the, our sky, it shines on the other part of the sky, so will the man, man, Son of Man be in his day. Excuse me. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Before these signs occur, and before these things come to a completion, Christ must first be rejected. That's his death, burial, and resurrection. But one cannot leave this part of the teaching to understand something was coming upon this generation for their rejection of Jesus Christ, as Jeremiah the prophet had said in chapter 22, if you obey my word in obedience, I will be my, your God. But if you disobey my words and do not honor me as God, I will make your land 
desolate. And so the first question was the temple. And then verse 3, he was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately telling us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the end of the age? There you have in all of these questions multiple topics. First, I will deal with this generation. Let me read to you out of Luke. It's part of the gospel in relation to this. Luke chapter 21. And he was continuing to say to them about the signs that nation upon nation, kingdom upon kingdom. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, speaking to the disciples, speaking to the church. And, uh, and that will... And it will lead to you for an opportunity to give testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. For I will give you utterance and wisdom with some of your opponents and you will be able to refute them. But you will be delivered by parents and brothers and relatives of friends. The escalation of this and they will some of you give you over to death, and you will be hated on account of my name. Yet not a hair of your head will perish, but your endurance, and by your endurance you will gain your life. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is at hand. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know her desolation is at hand. The Old Testament prophecies that God is a God of grace, and there is no doubt about it, but he is a God of justice. And in his justice, he has to deal with those who oppose his word and his way. And so we find that in this point of the text, that we're speaking about the city of Jerusalem, the epicenter for all the religious endeavors that were going on at that time, including the temple, and that the armies surrounded Jerusalem. And when he said that and made that statement in Luke's gospel, then we find out that there is a cataclysmic event of judgment that occurs in that first century based upon the words of Jesus Christ to his people, to the Jews, to the Pharisees, and to the Sadducees. And we have and we know today that the temple in Jerusalem does not exist. For in 70 AD, Titus, a general with the Roman government, marched into Jerusalem and burned and sacked the temple to complete destruction and carried away many of the artifacts that were in the temple. And in 70 AD can only be the period of time that Christ is conveying to this destruction. This 
generation. That generation saw the temple. And so when you go back to the Old Testament and you see Isaiah's proclamation of the new Jerusalem and the new city, and you see the book of Revelation and Peter speaking about the new heavens, the new earth, the new city, the new Jerusalem. Now you understand the one is gone. And in the new covenant of salvation, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, just as I had read for you out of the book of Revelation at the opening of this message. And the beauty of the tapestry of Scripture comes together, but also what looms before us is judgment. A righteous God has to judge sin. He has never been unjust to you. He has never been unjust to me. And he cannot be unjust to himself. And sin has to be held accountable. And just as the judgments came in the time of Noah, so says Christ in this dialogue here. So the question is then, when will these things be? Well, the answer to that is we know that the temple exists no more. But as to the signs, let's read them. Verse 4. This is an interesting answer Christ has for that question that was asked. When will these things be? What will be the signs of your coming at the end of the age? Those questions are with validity. They're asked as if they've already been taught and assumed to be true and accepted to be true. Are they not? Just look at the text. It says so. All of this had been talking about. Everything here. Through the Pharisees, Sadducees, through the life of the Gospels of Jesus Christ. What did he tell before he went to his hour of betrayal? He told his men, the Last Supper, where I am going, you cannot come with me. But I will come back for you. I will come back for you. The signs, we're living in signs. Every generation of Christian has lived in these same signs, to one degree or the other. To one degree or the other, Christians sitting in pews and out yards, under trees, over the centuries have asked that. When is he coming? And what are the signs of his coming? And what is the end of the age? The end of the age started at Jesus Christ's death, crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, his appearing, his ascension into heaven, and where he sits at the right hand of the Father in his glorified body. From there, Scripture tells us, he shall come again to judge the living and the dead. The end of the age started with the inception of the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ and ends when he returns. And all of that that had gone in between the signs are still going on. Jerusalem has already been dealt with. 
So Christ says in verse 4, as he answers his disciples, now, particularly here on the Mount of Olives, we have Christ with four men. Mark 13 gives us that account. It's Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And they are asking him privately. And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one deceives you. It's not really an answer to that question, is it? It's a statement of authenticity. You see to it that no one deceives you. How easy is it for us in our society, 2020, United States of America, with everything that's going on, to be deceived. And even if these factors weren't here, how easy is it for us to be deceived by the culture of more, by the autonomy and the individuality that's taught, by the secular teachings, by the displacement of the law, and by the Mosaic law going out of our schools and prayer and the breakdown of all of these factors that come. And I'm sure that there's generations that thought Christ was coming and as a young man came up to me last week and he said, I think Christ is returning any minute the way things are. I said, you're right. But if you say that tomorrow again, you're right again. And if you say that next week, you're right again. Because no one knows. It's not a matter of when he's coming. It's a certainty that he is coming. That's what this is teaching. But he's giving us full evidentiary exposure. That generation of Jews suffered judgment and ushered in the age of the church where you as Gentiles and me are being grafted in by the grace and mercy of God Almighty in his covenant of salvation through his son Jesus Christ. See to it that no one deceives you. That's a call to your responsibility as it was to his men right then and there. Why? Verse 5, many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that there is no fear in you. This is how the text translates. See to it that you are not frightened. For those things must take place everything that we are seeing today and we get up and we say what a mess the world is in but look what a savior god has sent to the world this is where we're to live the signs are there he said be observant of them know them in prayer in scripture in worship in fellowship in the assembly and together that's how you keep from being misled and deceived These things must first take place, but it's still not the end. 
Verse 7, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famine, earthquake, pestilence. All these things are the, merely the beginning of birth pangs. A very good description, particularly for your ladies that have had children. It's nine months, but it intensifies as it gets toward the final pain of giving birth there. And they will deliver you. They will kill some of you. You'll be hated by many peoples on account of my name. Do you see that happening? We're not the first generation or the first century to experience that. And at that time, here's a very, very cautious verse. Many will fall away and will deliver one another and will hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness has increased, most people's love will grow cold. These are words to his people. These are words to his church. They were valid 2,000 years ago. They're the same validity holds to us today. The apostasy, the falling away from the basic tenements of the Christian faith. When you see all of this going on, there is an ease in the multiple of ways of doing this, falling away from your faith either through disassociation in this building, in Bible studies, in gathering together for prayer time, in teachings, in fellowship, the Lord's table. What did he say? Do not let fear overcome you. Because these things will be here. They're going to occur. And they have occurred in every generation. But when we see all of this lawlessness, and we see the ease of the church to be less than what it's called to be, then we have the equation for the weakness of the church through the individuals falling away from holding to that which is truth. Because many false prophets will arise and they will mislead many. And people's love will grow cold for one another. We're beings as created by God and designed by God with emotion, with will. We have need to care for each other, to want each other, to hold each other, to share with each other, to give with each other. The one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. And now verse 14 is going to answer the question. In this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached 
to the whole world for a witness to all the people. And then the end shall come, and I shall return. I'm going to close with some words of encouragement for us. That parallel this teaching, the fall of Jerusalem, the judgment of that generation, the signs, they're here, they've always been. Lawlessness has always been, sin has always run rampant. Culture, politics, we're not going to save you. Only the adherence to God's word and abiding in Jesus Christ and not being deceived by feeding yourself upon all of this. But we should, I'm in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13. We should always give thanks to God, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you and us from the beginning for salvation, through sanctification, by the work of the Holy Spirit, and faith and truth. That's how the gospel works. And that gospel will work when God has deemed it to go out to all the people's of the world at his time. And it was for this, this gospel, for this salvation, that he called you through your gospel, that he called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of my Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings which you were taught, whether they are by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your heart in every good work indeed, regardless of the times. And finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you speaking to them then speaking to you now but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one and we have confidence in the Lord concerning all that you are doing well and will continue to do what the scriptures command you And may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let's pray. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a glorious thing to consider, Lord. For in it comes the faith to believe the rebirth of the mind, heart, strength, and soul and the desire of the will 
to do everything pleasing to you. May our hope be in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And may we understand the times and the signs. But may we be as Peter called us to be. People who are looking up and looking for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen.